You're listening to a message from Victory Church of the Bay Area. For more information, please visit us on our website at victoryus.org. All right. We are in the last installment of our sermon series entitled Selfless, and uh, we're on our fourth week. And in this sermon series, we looked at the concept of love, and we looked at how God defines love and how that affects our relationship with Him, with our spouses, with, and with, with our family, and also with others. We're going to talk about loving others today. We're going to read from Ephesians chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 1 through 10. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. By the way, for those of you who are here for the first time, my name is Neil Bernardino, and I'm the pastor of this church. Ephesians chapter 2, starting from verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. And in you, you've made us alive. You've raised us up and seated us with Christ so that you may display the immeasurable riches of your grace through us. And Lord, I pray that we would catch this, that we would learn what your Spirit is saying to us, Lord, so that indeed we would be those vessels who will reflect your glory, that people may know your love in and through us as we go out there and love as you loved us. We thank you. We lift up the sermon to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just an overview of our series. Again, we're talking about selfless. When we talk about love from God's perspective, it is not a love that takes, but God's love is one that gives. God's love is sacrificial. It's not concerned about self. It is more concerned about others. It's not concerned about benefiting self. It's more concerned with benefiting others. And if we relate with other people, and we only think of ourselves and what we can get out of that, then we are not moving in the love of God. We're moving in the love that the world defines. It's all about me. It's all about what I get. But with God's love, it's opposite of what the world says. God's love tells us to give of ourselves so that others may benefit. And that's why it is entitled selfless. That's the nature of God's love. And 
As we end the series, we're going to look at God's love for others. And when you talk about God's love for others, it is really about compassion. When you talk about love, it's giving of ourselves to others, even if they don't deserve it. Many of us want to give love to people who have loved us back, or we want to love in return. But real love is you don't have to wait for someone to do something good to you before you can express that love. And even if the person does not deserve it, you express love anyway. You love anyway. You go through all the expressions of God's love for that person anyway. Let's go back to verse 10. This is the main verse that I want us to look at. And again, it says here, For we are His workmanship, God's workmanship, or handiwork, as it is rendered in the NIV, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Actually, this verse is packed with a lot of things. You can actually do a serpent series on this, just on this verse alone. But for us to understand and appreciate this verse, it's good that we look at the entire passage uh, that we read a while ago. We're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 9 in order for us to understand and appreciate this verse. And in the text we looked at from uh, Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10, We see there a divine contrast. There is a divine contrast that is presented there between those who are dead and those who have been made alive in Christ. Those who are dead and those who are alive in Christ. Now, don't think that this... Is this church teaching about zombies or anything? No, no, that's not what we're talking about here. Okay, so And the dead that is being talked about here in Ephesians chapter 2 are not those who are physically dead, but those who are dead in their sins, dead in their trespasses. Even though you're alive, if you are in sin and Jesus Christ is not in your life, then you are seen from God's perspective as dead. That's why it seems like you can't hear God, you can't see God. You can only perceive Him, but you can't really get a revelation unless He makes you alive. You see, only a person who's alive can hear can discern, can sense. A dead person cannot hear, sense, understand. Try talking to a dead person. You go to a funeral or the wake and you talk to a dead person. That body will not respond to you because it's dead. The Bible says we are dead in our sins. That's why it's hard for us or impossible for us to perceive or to hear or discern God in His voice or to see spiritual things, real spiritual things. It only takes God to work in our lives to open our eyes so that we can see what He is doing. It has to be His initiative for us to see Him and understand Him. There's nothing we can do. We can be religious and still be dead in our sins. Okay, there are many people who are religious and yet they are dead in their sins. That's what we're talking about here. The comparison, the contrast between those who are dead in their sins and their transgressions and those who have been made alive in Christ. And With these two, there's a certain walk. As we read the text a while ago, you heard the word walk, right? When you talk about walk, it's basically a path of life, a way of life that they are following or journeying into. When you talk about your walk with Christ, that means it's your life with Christ, how you live your life, how you journey in that life. And Paul differentiates the two walks here. First, says in verse 1, for the dead... You were dead in your trespasses and sins. This is their walk. Their walk is comprised of 
trespasses and sins and living a life of sin in rebellion against God. And many times people are not aware of that, but all their choices are selfish, not selfless. It's all about them, selfish, and they sin and they walk in their trespasses. While those who've been made alive in Christ, they were dead in their sins before, but they've been made alive with Christ. So their life is defined by Christ. It's not defined by themselves. Those who are dead, their life is defined by themselves. They define what their lives are. But here, those who've been made alive, their lives are defined by Christ. And not only do we see there's a difference in the walk or in the way of life between these two, we also see those who are dead in their trespasses follow the course of this world. So that's what they follow. Basically, they follow what this world says. This fallen world, the world that is at enmity with God and in rebellion against Him. A world that says, we don't need God, we can stand on our own. We define what our reality is. We define the standards. We define what's good. We define everything. See, definition is a function of authority. And when mankind, remember in the back, way back in the Garden of Eden, God said, you're free to eat the fruit of anything here in the garden, of any tree, except for that one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You may not eat of that, for if you do, you will surely die. And guess what? There was only one command, and the man breaks the command. Humanity breaks God's command. Of course, with the temptation of the serpent, when humanity chose the fruit and chose to eat it and chose to disobey God, what did they do? They knew God was in control. God made everything, but here's what they did. I choose autonomy. I don't want someone controlling me. I don't want to be under God. I want to be like God. Knowing good and evil, understanding. So basically, I want to be the same level as God. And if this fruit will do it, so be it. I am autonomous. And since that day up to now, that's the problem with people today. People want autonomy. They don't want to be under God's control. They don't want to be under God's provision. They want to be the one in control. They want to be the one to define things. That's why today we see redefinitions of things that God has made, and we see the world is in a mess. And because of all these redefinitions, people are confused now. We need a standard. We need to go back to the standard of truth. We need to go back to the one who defines reality as he made it to be. They follow the course of this world as they walk. And here, those who are made alive in Christ, the course of their lives is following God in the good works that God has ordained for them beforehand. In the good works. You see here, if you notice, good works came after they were saved. A lot of people today who don't know God think that they can get saved by their good works. You see, good works will only matter after you have been created in Christ. After you've been saved. And then here, the dead as well, another distinction is that the prince of the power of the air is the one that is ruling those who are dead in their sins. See, it doesn't matter what kind of religion you go to. The fact that sin is in your heart, you are controlled ruled by, and you are following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. While those who are alive in Christ, these are described as God's handiwork. It's God working in them. They are God's masterpiece. So it's God working in these people 
While on the other hand, those who are dead in their sins, it is the prince of the power of the air. It's another illusion. It's a reference to the evil one. Whether you like it or not, if you're in sin, whether you believe it or not, it doesn't really matter. This is the reality. Whether you believe in gravity or not, gravity will take effect because it's true, right? So here, God is at work in those who are alive in Christ. In these verses, we see this differentiation from the old life into the new. Remember, Paul was saying here, you were once darkness. You were once in your sins. You were once living a life of trespass and sin. But here, God made you alive in Christ. There's a new life. It's not a patched up life or an upgraded life. It is a new life. The old has gone, the new has come. And in this new life, if you were friends of these people, you would say, that guy's a friend of mine, but it seems he's so different today. Something happened in his life, something changed in his life. And that's what happened with those who've been made alive in Christ. There was a transformation. There was a change. From a sinful nature, God gave them a new nature. And from being called a sinner, a state of being in sin, they are now in a state of grace. That's why they are saved. Whatever the consequences of this life of sin is, whatever that, what this life will bring, God has saved them from that wrath. And so here, it's all the grace of God. So we've been saved by grace, and it is by grace we continue on living this life. And this transition from death to life, what brought that about is God's act of grace. Grace, as we all know it, is the unmerited love and favor of God. Unmerited, meaning undeserved. Unmerited love and favor of God. God's grace is not dependent or it is not a response to what you do. Religious people who don't really know the truth, but they're very religious, think that if they pray more or if they read the Bible more or if they attend all the victory groups in a week, they think that they will have more grace from God by doing. See, that is a misunderstanding of grace. Grace is not something we deserve. It's something bestowed upon us even when we don't deserve it. How many of you have given grace to your spouses? A lot of times. <laughs> you know, you've been gracious with your spouse. You've extended grace. How many of you asked for your teachers when you were in college? Grace period. Grace period. The deadline is this date. And you're missing the deadline grace period. I just recently did that with my seminary professor. I'm just overwhelmed with all the assignments, and so I couldn't make it. I said, I'm not going to make it. So I, I emailed both of them. I'm behind, and whatever you will do with my submission, I'm going to be a day or two late. But whatever you do with my submission, I will accept. But I hope, and I'm appealing for your kind consideration of my circumstances, and I explained the circumstances why. And one of my teachers responded to me and said, that's okay. You can submit any time. I'm not going to check it until next week. Anyway, I'm going to be gone for the weekend, she said. So that's okay. Grace, thank you, Lord. So anyway, it's something you don't deserve, right? Grace is something bestowed upon us and that we don't deserve it. And it is rooted in God's mercy. And it's manifested through the mercy of God, His rich mercy and His great love, as it says there in verse 4. And it is also manifested through his kindness, according to verse 7. This act of grace is rooted on and is a manifestation of God's rich mercy, his great love, and his kindness. 
we see these things, these concepts. You see here, love, mercy, kindness. These are all familiar concepts to Paul the Apostle. Why? Because he was an Israelite and he grew up as a Pharisee teaching the law. And God had revealed himself to Moses, their patriarch. God revealed himself to Moses in this manner. And here, when Moses asked the Lord, Oh, show me your glory. God said, I'm not going to show you my full glory. If I do so, you will die. No man can see my full glory and live. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to put you in a cleft, and then I will put my hand, cover you as I pass by. After I pass, I will let go of my hand, and you will be able to see me. And as God was passing Moses, he said this. Here's what he revealed himself to Moses as, aside from being the great I am. He is another aspect of God that he has revealed to Moses. He said, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Many times we think in the Old Testament, God is a God of justice and wrath. And in the New Testament, we see God as a God of love and grace. That is a misunderstanding. When you say such a statement, it betrays you it betrays a lack of understanding of how God revealed himself. Because in the Old Testament, God had revealed himself to be a God of grace as well. In the Old Testament, God himself revealed himself to be a loving and merciful God, but also a holy and a righteous God. He's a God of mercy and a God of justice, and it's not a dichotomy. He is both. He is love, mercy, righteousness, and justice. Here, followers of Christ are recipients of God's saving grace. If you are a follower of Jesus, you've been born again by the Spirit of God. That means you have received His saving grace and you walk in His grace. And even before you gave your life to Christ, His grace was at work in your heart to bring you to the point where you can give yourself to Jesus. Because no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. Are you getting this? That's why, please, don't think that I can just go to Jesus anytime. When you think that you decided to go to Jesus, what you don't realize is that the mere fact that you're able to consider giving your life to Jesus, that's already a result of God's work in your heart before you were even thinking of Jesus as an option for your life. And then you realize as you give your life to Jesus, Jesus is not no option. He is the truth. There's no other option. He is the truth. But you see, it's God working in your heart. That's what's called grace. John Wesley calls that prevenient grace. Yeah, the grace that's working in the unconverted so that they can be brought near to Christ. And at the point of them meeting Christ, they give themselves. And that's when they receive the grace of God, saving grace. And now here we are. The theory says, we can do that, but we're not going to do it. We're just going to call it grace. Before you met Christ, at the time you met Christ, as you follow Christ, it's all by the grace of God. Would you agree with me on that? Believers are recipients of the saving grace of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, But God, being rich in mercy, that affirms what Exodus 34 said, right? Being rich in mercy because of the great love, here we go again, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, so he was already expressing his grace, his mercy, his love, even while we were still his enemies, even while we were still sinners. He performed the divine action of grace 
what did he do? First, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And then he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we were dead. We were made alive and we were raised with him, with Christ. And now here's our status. Here is our state. We are with him. We are seated with him as he's ruling and reigning in the heavenly places. That is the reality that is the state that we are in if you are a believer. My life doesn't look like that. It's because you've never embraced that reality and that state more and more. So we need understanding this and embracing it so that we may walk in that reality. This whole experience here, everything that we see here in these three verses here, speaks of God's saving work. It speaks of salvation. The salvation of man through the finished work of Christ at the cross of Calvary. This happened because of Christ's sacrifice at the cross. And because of what God has done, we receive salvation. And this is where we quote one of our most beloved Bible verses. For by grace, you have been saved. See, God saved you, made you alive, raised you up, and seated you with Christ. You don't deserve all that, but he saved you. And all of that is by the grace of God. You didn't deserve any of that, basically. But we're thankful we are here. Aren't you glad that even though you don't deserve to be in right standing with God to be forgiven, you are forgiven here today? You receive His grace and you are enjoying a relationship with Him? Where you are right now, it's a state of grace. You can't say, I did this, that's why I'm here. No, no, you can't do that. Remember, you did nothing to be in this state. It's God who placed you in this state. So the response should be that of gratitude and humility and worship. Now, let's go back to verse 10. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, Therefore we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand or in advance, that we should walk in them. You see, God did not just save us from something. He saved us from our sins and the eternal consequences of sin. He saved us from the wrath of God, which is the expectation of those who remain in their sin, who die in their sins. God saved us from something, right? Saved us from sin. But it's amazing how God did not just save us from something. He also saved us for something. He saved us from sin, but He also saved us for good works. He saved us so that we can perform good works, which He has planned out. He has laid out. He has uh, mapped it out for your life. Do you realize Do you know the full extent of your life? Can you see your future? Do you know what kind of things you will encounter in your life? No, but God does. And you know what? Along that path, it's that journey God has prepared good works for you to do. He didn't just save you so that you'll be saved from wrath. He saved you so that you can be His vessel, so that you can live your life giving glory to Him and also revealing Him through good works that He has prepared for you. God has prepared good works for you. Let's look at key words here. First, it says here, we are His workmanship. In the NIV, it says handiwork. It literally means a thing of His making, a creation. We are His creation. The sense here is that we are His creation. It's not physical creation. So He created us twice. If you're a believer, you're twice created. First, He created you physically. And then now that you're born again, he created you spiritually. It's a spiritual creation here that Paul was referring to. We are his workmanship. We are his creation. And speaking of creation, 
It says that we are created in Christ. So we are His workmanship. We are His masterpiece. Are you perfect today? No, but God's working in your life, transforming you, sanctifying you until the day that you face Him, you will be like Him. Even before that day comes, if you're already saved in Him, you're not perfect yet. But He calls you as He sees you as an end product. By the finished product, He calls you sanctified. He calls you holy. He calls you His masterpiece. Speaking of creation, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The oldest passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are a new creation in Christ. You're not made new by your religion. You're not made new by your religiosity, by your piousness. You can't make yourself anymore a creation of God in Christ by your works. It's God's work, not yours. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not the result of your works. It is the gift of God. And here it says four good works. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Four good works. The word for here, it's translated in other, I think in the, in the King James, it's translated as the word unto. For we were created in Christ Jesus unto good works or towards good works. Toward good works. You were created towards that purpose. So the word for speaks of direction and it also speaks of purpose. So you were created in Christ for this purpose, with this direction in mind. Good works here is not simply humanitarian work. How many of you appreciate humanitarian work? We need compassion in this world. But it's possible to do compassionate, quote-unquote, compassionate acts without knowing God. But the real compassion of God is something that transcends. You see, people who move in compassion, just in the human level of love, brings affirmation, but it does not bring transformation. God's compassion not only brings affirmation, but it also brings transformation. And that's the difference between divine compassion and human compassion. That's why we are, as believers, we are to love others, not the way we know what love is, as we've come to know it in the world, but the way God has loved us. The way God has loved us, that's the way we love others. We love others with His love that we have received. So the good works Paul was talking of here are those works that are centered on the gospel and also reveals the gospel, proclaims the gospel. Galatians 6 verses 9 and 10 says this, And let us not grow weary of doing good. We are encouraged to do good works. It has been prepared for us. This is part of our purpose. And God now encourages us to do good works. Are you a believer in Christ? You are encouraged by the Scriptures, by God, to do good works. For in due season, He will reap if we do not give up. This also tells us that God is so gracious that He rewards those who participate in good works, who do the good works appointed for them. He prepared them. If you do it, He will reward you. Now, we're not doing it for the reward. We're doing it because He is worthy. You know, I didn't deserve to be here, but I get to be here. Not by my own doing, not by my works, but His grace. Thank you, Lord. I'm more than willing to do this. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, says there, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You see, when we walk in the good works He has prepared for us, we bring pleasure to Him. By definition, 
If you look at the dictionary, if you look at this phrase, good works, you will see its definition is just simply this, charitable acts. Charitable acts. When we talk about charitable, the root word for charitable is charity. And when we think of charity, it's free, it's generosity. But you know what? Free, generosity, those are descriptions of what charity really means. Being generous, giving freely, those are just descriptions of the definition of charity. You know what charity is? Charity is another word for love. So when you give charitably, that means you're moving in love. And so good works, therefore, based on that, these are acts designed specifically to benefit others according to the love of God, which are characteristic of God. He requires and enables His people to do good, although such is contrary to the sinful human nature. I don't want to do good to others. I want to do good to myself. It's me first. Salvation does not depend on good works, but salvation leads to good works. And this actually is definitive of what love is. The first line here describes what love is. How God defines love. Selfless, self-giving, sacrificial, unconditional. Examples of good works. Taking time and coming together as a community of believers to help another church in their program to feed those who are starving. And look at their faces. They're happy. They're smiling. But when you do the work of God, it's life-giving. It's invigorating. It's a blessing. Here's another one. Every Christmas time, many of our singles participate in this. They basically buy or donate some of their goods, or they buy new stuff, toys, and things for little boys and girls, and they wrap them in shoe boxes. And they participate in Operation Christmas Child. And they send these out to different parts of the world. And you see the happy faces of these kids. They're blessed by the generosity, the act of love of these believers. Giving of themselves. They bought the stuff and they took time to wrap the gifts, but they did it together as a community. What are other types of good works? Well, as you can see here, you can volunteer in church. That is part of the good works God has for us. You can preach in a kid's church. You can help in the kid's church there. You can lead a small group or you can be part of a small group. You can be part of a worship team there or whatever. You can be part of the church, the life of the church and serving the church. That is part of the good works. Or you can pray for the sick as a community. You can help the community. You can feed the poor, the homeless. You can help those who are unable to help themselves. Give to them. You can participate in disaster relief operations or Famine relief operation. In other words, you can give of yourself. You see the picture here? You can pray for the homeless and give them hope. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give unto you. And then you speak the name of Christ to them. You bless them. You can preach the gospel and you can help those who are in need, who are sick. These are just examples. What about the ones that are not seen by people that only the Father sees? Are we walking in these kinds of works? That God has prepared for us. I'd like to wind this down. Going back to verse 10. It says there, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. These good works, these acts of love for others, these are not afterthoughts of God. He planned this to be part of our purpose even before He created each one of us. Even before He saved us, He already planned these good works for us. This brings purpose to your life. This brings definition to your life. You were made for this purpose. 
And we see this, going back to verse 7, it says there, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We are masterpieces of his love and grace. And he wants us to walk in his grace, in his love, and do the good works reflecting who he is. And as we do so, that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace through his masterpieces. That he would be revealed through his people. Isn't that amazing? Tertullian said this, when he saw the community of believers loving one another and doing good to one another and to the community, he said, now look at that. They do love each other, don't they? You see, the world takes notice when we move as the people of God, loving one another. Didn't Jesus say that? This is how the world will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And now a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. We are to love others the way we've been loved by Jesus. As we wind this down, what kind of good works bring pleasure to God? What kind of good works really bring pleasure to God? Some people participate in good works out of religiosity. Or out of guilt. Because they participate in a life of sin, they try to offset that guilty feeling by doing religious stuff. By committing to religious works or good works. Well, how many of you have done that? You did good works, not really to please God, but really to try to appease your conscience. Your guilty conscience. You see, it's still selfish. That is not the good works that God counts. God sees. Here's a kind of good works that bring pleasure to God. Matthew 25, Jesus gave us insight into that. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous... Who are the righteous? Those who are recipients of His grace. Believers, okay? Then the righteous will answer Him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? We can't recall that. We didn't see you. Here's what Jesus said to them. And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, to the least of people, you did it to me. You see, the works that bring pleasure to God are the ones that we do instinctively. The ones that respond out of the promptings of the Spirit in our hearts. When we see a need, and we go and meet that need, and we don't need to announce it. You know, like some politicians, you know, they, they gave a $1,000 here, and they spent like $750 put up a billboard just to tell everybody that he gave $1,000 for that. What did Jesus say? When you do good things, the principle is this. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What is done in secret is seen by my Father, and he will bless you. See, the good works God wants us to walk in are the works that we do instinctively as we do life, as we encounter people who are lost, as we encounter people who are in desperate need of his love, and we touch them with the love of God without having to proclaim it or let everybody know about it. So that when they are touched by God through us, all they see is the love of God. And that is what's important. How many of us walk in those kinds of good works? We don't need to tell people about it. Yes, we can participate in those works 
that we do together as a community, but we can participate more in those instinctive works as a response to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our hearts as we encounter lost people, people in need, being generous to them, giving them what they need without expecting anything in return. Let us walk in the good works God has prepared for us. See, the gospel is proclaimed by preaching the word and by the way we live our lives, and it's seen through the good works that God has prepared for us. Let's walk in the good works of God. Amen? And I want to leave you with this thought. Our good works reflect God's love and kindness to a lost and dying world. The good works that we have do not merit our salvation. The good works we have are results of our salvation, created in Christ Jesus first, so that we, as a result, can do good works. And as we move in the works of God, we will reflect Him, reveal Him, and reveal His love to a world who is dying to receive His love. Amen? Thank you for your love, Jesus. Lord, your love never runs out. Your love is everlasting. Your love is new. Your mercies are new every morning. Your faithfulness is always seen at the end of the day. You love us. God, we want to respond to this message, Lord, by giving of ourselves to you, that, Lord, we want to be selfless as you have been selfless in giving us your love, Lord. We want to be selfless in our relationships, Lord, first in our marriages, with our family members, and with other people. Lord, whether it be the church people or people who are lost. And so, Lord, we want to respond, dear love, and say, here we are, Lord. Use us, Lord. Give us a greater and greater revelation of your love for us, that we may walk in your grace and your love and your truth, that we may reflect you. Thank you for the good works that you've prepared for us. And by your grace, we're saying by your grace, we are able to do those works. And Lord, may we bring pleasure and glory to your, to your name. Lord, as we walk in those good works, as we respond to your love and walk in those good works. Father, we thank you for your great love. We give you praise and glory. And we thank God that we get to be here in your presence and in your love and your grace. Lord, I pray that your blessing will be upon your people. Bless them as they go in and bless us as they go out. In all their dealings, in all their relationships today, in all their ventures, in all their work and in their relationships. Let your peace be with them. Let the grace of Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon each one of us as we go from here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.